I'm Monsignor Bill Parent, pastor of St. Elizabeth Church, and you're listening to the St. Elizabeth Church podcast. This episode is one of five talks from our 2022 Lenten series entitled The Radical Call of Laudato Si. Laudato Si is Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical letter on the environment. Here is the first talk of this series by yours truly, recorded live on Tuesday, March 8th. Here is the second talk of this series by Professor Thomas Hibbs of Baylor University, recorded live on Tuesday, March 15th. Please rise for our gospel. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. One day, as evening drew on, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was and other boats were with him. A violent squall came up and waves were breaking over the boat so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this whom even wind and sea obey? The Gospel of the Lord. Allow me to introduce our guest speaker this evening. It will be a very brief introduction. Uh, my good friend of almost going on 40 years now, uh, as I mentioned last week, but more importantly, my scholarly friend who has written a draft, a manuscript, submitted the manuscript to University of Notre Dame Press, uh, a book on Laudato Si, it's probably going to be about another year, given the process, till it's actually published. We'll let you know when that happens. But as I said last week, it's a great corrective, I think, for this encyclical, this important encyclical that is so often um, misread or incompletely uh, read. And uh, he's going to talk to us tonight about Laudato Si and, and the theme of his upcoming book. And he is also, uh, our, our holy hour tonight, uh, will, will, he's agreed to stay for any questions that you may have, and he'll try to answer. Um, so we will conclude our adoration period a few minutes early, and he will stay a few minutes beyond. I realize some of you 
may have commitments at home. If you need to leave at the end of adoration, that's that's fine. But he will stay and answer uh, questions, your questions here in church. And so it is all the way from Baylor University, where he is a professor of philosophy. It is my great honor and pleasure uh, to welcome to St. E's Professor Thomas Hibbs. I'm confident this will be so exciting that you'll be counting on your calendar the days until my book is published. <laughs> and you'll want to go right out and buy it. It's a real honor to be with you. It's a great pleasure to be back with my friend, uh, Father Bill. It, it's a little bit, uh, you know, I'm a philosopher. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. And I realize that I'm, I'm following a, a really great preacher. I try not to spoil my friends who were thinking about becoming Catholic too early by having them come here to hear him preach. Because if I do that too early, uh, then they, they call me up and complain about all the other churches they're attending and the sermons. So it's a, uh, it's a great honor. We've been good friends for a long time, and I'm really happy to be with you. And I want to just share some ideas about Laudato Si, and then, as, as I say, I'm happy to stick around at the end and, and take questions if you have them. It was just about two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, that we had what I think is one of the defining images of Pope Francis delivering right after the worldwide lockdown, delivering in St. Peter's Square his Orbi at Orbi address, his address to the city and the world. I don't know if you recall that, but he was alone in St. Peter's Square in a very stormy sky background, all alone, this frail elderly priest. And the gospel that he preached on is the one that Father Bill just read, the passage from Mark on the Sea of Galilee. And I want to quote just very briefly a couple passages from the sermon he gave, which was also followed that day by Eucharistic adoration. And Francis' sermon opens this way. When evening had come, the opening line from the gospel that was just read to us. The gospel passage we have just heard, Francis writes, begins like this. For weeks now, it has been evening in the pandemic. Thick darkness has gathered over our squares our streets, and our cities. It has taken over our lives, filling everything with a deafening silence and a distressing void that stops everything as it passes by. We feel it in the air. We notice in people's gestures. Their glances give them away. We find ourselves afraid and lost on this boat are all of us, just like those disciples who spoke anxiously with one voice saying, we are perishing. So too, we have realized that we cannot go on thinking of ourselves, but only together can we do this. The storm at sea and the storm covering the globe exposes, Francis says, our vulnerability 
and uncovers those false and superfluous certainties around which we have constructed our daily schedules, our projects, our habits, our priorities. It shows us how we have allowed ourselves to become dull and feeble, to ignore the very things that nourish, sustain, and strengthen our lives and our communities. It lays bare all our prepackaged ideas and forgetfulness of what nourishes our souls. All those attempts that anesthetize us with ways of thinking and acting that supposedly save us. This is a really strong sentence. We deprive ourselves of the antibodies we need to confront adversity. It's really a beautiful, I urge you to, if you haven't heard that or read it, to pull it up. The, the video is actually remarkable of the Pope. And it, it's, it's brimming with insights. What's interesting about that passage, the scriptural passage from Mark, in relation to Laudato Si, is that the disciples experience two levels or types of fear and terror. The fear of the storm, right, of nature at doing its violent worst, wreaking havoc, and perhaps causing them physical harm and even death. But Mark reserves the word terrified for Christ, for their reaction to Christ. Who is this who even the wind and the seas obey him? Christ is Lord of the entire natural world. And that's what the insight that the disciples are, are, uh, are sort of crawling toward at this moment. The immediate next passage is Christ going to shore and be encountering the man possessed of seven demons, right? Legion, whom he sends into the swine. Christ controls both the natural order and the spiritual order. I want to suggest that what Francis is pointing us toward in Laudato Si is a recovery of our sense of nature as falling under the fatherhood of God, as he puts it. He says at one point that we won't be able to heal our, I think there's kind of a fourfold alienation he's talking about in our modern world. We're alienated from ourselves, we're alienated from others, we're alienated from nature, and we're alienated from God. The crisis that the environment is a symptom of, that environment and ecological disorder and disaster are symptoms of, is a crisis of the human person in the modern world who is, in a sense, lost in the cosmos. We don't know where we stand in the universe. We don't know what the universe is about. We don't know what God is about, and so we are completely adrift. That's the deep crisis that Laudato Si is designed to address. There's a passage uh, early on where Francis says quite explicitly, the present ecological crisis is one small sign, it's an important sign, of the ethical, cultural, and spiritual crisis of the modern world. We cannot presume to heal our relationship with nature and the environment without healing all fundamental human relationships and without healing our relationship with God. Let me come at that opening description in a slightly different way. There's a film, which I can't fully recommend because it's long and, 
There's a lot of tedious parts to it. Terrence Malick's film, Tree of Life, which begins with this sort of cosmic explosion, and it, it traces the development of the universe all the way down to the first humans, and then it settles in where I live, Waco, Texas, which is apparently the not just the fixer-upper center of the universe, but it's, it's Terrence Malick's center of the universe, too, and this family, and, and there's a, a child who says to his mother, it's beautiful, request he makes of his mother. Tell us a story from before we can remember. He wants to hear the story of when his parents met, when they got married, of his own birth. Right? Tell us a story from before we can remember. Right? What Francis wants us to do in our thinking about the environment and all of the crises that afflict us is to return to those stories from before we can remember. I know you began last week with the opening of the Gospel of John, which echoes the creation story in Genesis. That's the story from before we can remember, right? It's the, it's the ultimate origin story of how we got here. And it's a story of God creating a universe to reflect his wisdom, beauty, goodness, and grace and to communicate that to us, to build for us a common home, as, as the subtitle of Laudato Si has it, our common home. And at the end of each of the days of creation, God looks and says, it is good. We need to recover those stories, those origin stories from before we can remember so that we understand our place within the whole. Francis is fond of saying in Laudato Si that we have relationships with and responsibilities to God, to other human beings, our neighbors, and to nature. And that what sin has done is to rupture all of those relationships. And what he's calling for is a healing of those relationships. And I think he's making the claim that we can't heal one without the other. That we're going to have to heal principally our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another and our relationship with nature. One of the interesting things about Genesis and this Malick movie that starts with the beginning of the cosmos with a kind of big bang is that as Christians, we don't do a lot of, we think a lot about what we need to do with respect to others who are around us. That's all well and good. We think about deepening our prayer life with God. We don't think about the other part that's Francis talking about a lot. The fact that this vast cosmos is created by God as a home for all the beings that are in it, and especially for us. Since Christ unites himself with the entire cosmos through the taking on of human flesh. And through the taking on of human flesh, he takes on the entire physical cosmos. We don't think a lot or try to imagine our place within this vast whole. But surely it cannot be an accident that God created the universe that he did as vast and as terrifying and as awesome as it is, if not to some extent for our instruction and edification. One of the reasons we're lost in the cosmos is we've lost that sense of the cosmos as a gift. How did that happen? Francis follows 
Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II in arguing that how this happens is that in the modern period in particular, we tend to look at nature as raw material. The technical term in the document for this is radical anthropocentrism, as if everything is organized around us and our arbitrary will. So we look at the physical universe as raw material that we can dispose of as we wish. There's actually, there, interestingly, there's a passage he quotes from Benedict which says that we look at nature and we see only ourselves, which is an odd thing to say. You look out at nature and you see only yourself. What Benedict means and what Francis is seizing upon in that statement is that we look at nature and we see only what we want and how we want to remake it so that it fulfills whatever desires we happen to have at the moment. In other words, we treat the physical cosmos as if it were our property, right? not as if it were a gift of God over which we have been given a role as stewards and caretakers. So the, the first source of the error for all of the modern popes with respect to the environmental order is the idea that we are masters of the natural order which we treat as raw material to get what we want out of. That error leads to what the Pope and some commentators have called technocracy, a world where technology is the chief way in which we encounter nature. Technology is the means we have over nature to control it. And there's, there's something powerful and scientific about technology. There's also something magical. Um, J.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, in one of his letters says, you know, magic and technology are about the same thing. They're both about reducing to the vanishing point the gap between I want it and it appears, right? Which is why we're all waiting for the next fastest faster, higher resolution phone to come out, and why, if we're in the magical world of Harry Potter, and we are in darkness, we pull out a wand and say Lumos, but if we walk into a building like this, we flip the switch, right? Magic and technology reduce the gap between I want something and it appears. It's sort of like uh, but, uh, technology and magic are, are, are all built to create Amazon, right? Where, where I sometimes feel like Amazon people, delivery people are, are hovering outside my door and as soon as I hit, they know what I'm going to hit, as soon as I hit it, it falls in front of my door, right? This is, this is technological magic. The problem as the Pope sees it with this is that we become addicted to the way in which it satisfies our wants and we become incapable of putting limits on it, right? We become incapable of saying, you can go this far, but no more with technology, or how we ought to temper our use of technology. We become, in a way, addicted to it, and we become the servants of technology. This leads to what Pope Francis calls the throwaway culture. Right, which he sees in our economy of throwing things away and getting new versions. I once thought that that line from Francis about the throwaway culture was a kind of throwaway line that he just trotted out. 
the more I read him, the more I think he thinks this is an accurate description of the dangerous parts of our entire culture. He talks frequently about the elderly. It's remarkable how many times in his daily sermons he returns to the elderly as the group of people we completely neglect and we separate young people from them. We no longer teach young people that there's wisdom that can be garnered from the elderly. So they lack a purpose and lead isolated lives. He talks about the poor, certainly, in this way. And he also mentions in passing a number of times the fact that he sees fewer and fewer Down syndrome children on the streets when he's walking in cities, right? And it's not because, as one country boasted, they had cured Down syndrome. It's because they're getting systematically aborted before they're allowed a chance to be born. All of these things for Francis are symptoms of, the, of what is fundamentally a throwaway culture. The final point I'd make about this is that Francis talks in this sermon uh, the, uh, the, to the city and the world and in some of the interviews around this time about what he calls a hyper-virtual, fleshless world. That's a lot of big words there. Hyper-virtual, fleshless world. It's a world that's completely involved in technology. And what we need to do is to return to the flesh of the poor, the flesh of friends and family, the flesh of Christ, especially in the Eucharist. What's the corrective to this for Francis? The corrective to looking at nature and seeing only ourselves is to look at nature and see the beauty and the splendor and the wisdom and the glory of God. And to step back from our pragmatic approach to nature, which immediately wants to manipulate it for uses that we have or merely to take pleasure in it. Right? Think about a lot of our return to nature in vacation and it's healthy as a contrast to a lot of what we do from week to week at work, is simply an enjoyment of nature. Nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but it's disordered if it's not subordinate to our disposition of seeing nature as a gift of God through which God communicates to us his wisdom and beauty. Francis will talk about a set of ecological virtues instead of wanting to control manipulate and maximize what we can drain out of nature we need to step back and Francis says adopt a contemplative attitude and disposition toward nature this is a disposition where we are receptive of a gift not taking our property seeing nature as property and manipulating it it is not our property is God's universe, right? And so the first step is a retreat for Francis, to step back and to take in nature in a receptive, humble way that is full of wonder at the complex beauty, at the enormous gift that is the natural world, is our bodily existence. And from that experience of wonder to develop habits of gratitude and of joy with respect to nature. These are the habits that counter what underlies our ecological crisis, which is a rapaciousness with respect to nature that, again, where we treat it merely 
as raw material. This receptive silence before nature that's prior even to the pleasurable enjoyment of nature. Seeing nature as God's gift and developing these habits of wonder, joy, and awe for Francis are the crucial conversion. He talks a lot in Laudato Si about conversion, which is a little odd in an environmental document, right? For him to talk about the need for conversion. But I think Francis thinks that, and there are, you know, he hints at sort of policy recommendations at various points, and I think he thinks it's important that we try to work out policies to minimize, preserve nature, minimize damage to nature. But I think he suspects beneath all of that, that if our fundamental disposition toward nature is not altered, that we can have all the policies we want and we're gonna get it wrong. We're gonna misunderstand what our place is within the whole and how we ought to understand this as a gift of God. The last thing I wanna say about this is that for Francis, this has to do not just with our creation in Genesis, the creation of the universe and our place within it and our current sense of dislocation in the universe, not knowing where we are or what our purpose is. For Francis, this also stretches ahead through our participation in the Eucharist, but it stretches ahead to the end of time. Right? What we await is not an escape. We await an escape from the evils of this life. But what we await is a new heaven and a new earth. Right? Where this world, we await the transformation of the physical universe. Francis puts it this way um, at the, uh, toward, uh, toward the end of the entire document of Laudato Si. Um, he says there that, was in my, yeah, here we are, in uh, section 243. This is heaven, as Francis describes it. At the end, we will find ourselves face to face with the infinite beauty of God and be able to read with admiration and happiness the mystery of the universe, which with us will share in unending plenitude and beauty. Even now we are journeying toward the Sabbath of eternity, the new Jerusalem, towards our common home in heaven. Jesus says in Revelation, I make all things new. Eternal life will be a shared experience of awe in which each creature resplendently transfigured will take its rightful place and have something to give those poor men and women who will have been liberated once and for all. That's the vision that Francis is calling us toward. Lots of work to be done in the environmental realm. But Francis, I think, instinctively and theologically sees that unless we heal our dispositions toward the natural world, unless we return to seeing the entire natural cosmos 
as a gift from a wise, beautiful, and good God. We're going to continue to suffer the deeper affliction of creatures who are lost in the cosmos.